The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world. And with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest, Frederick Laloux, and we'll be discussing his amazing and I predict soon to be bestseller book, Reinventing Organizations, a guide to creating organizations inspired by the next stage of human consciousness. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Frederick. He's an author, thought leader, and business visionary. Frederick claims that he works as a sparring partner with organizational leaders who feel called to fundamentally transform their organizations. His leading-edge research in the field of emerging organizational models, which are published in his book, Reinventing Organizations, has been described as groundbreaking, brilliant, spectacular, impressive, and world-changing by some of the most respected scholars in the field of human development. Frederick is a former associate partner with McKinsey & Company. He holds an MBA from INSEAD, considered the business school of the world, known as the business school of the world in Fontainebleau, France. And he also has a degree in coaching from the Newfield Network. Frederick, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you. So on your website, you say that, quote, most books on organizations are written for people hoping to find the secret to gaining market share, beating competition, increasing profits. They often, uh, they offer advice on how to better play the game of success with the current management paradigm. In contrast, your book, Reinventing Organizations, comes from a different place. It's written as a handbook for people, founders of organizations, leaders, coaches and advisors who sense that something is broken in the way we run organizations today and who feel deeply that more must be possible but wonder how to do it, unquote. So I suspect that many of my listeners resonate with this concept. Can you share what motivated you to write the book from the perspective that something is broken and we need to change the paradigm? Hmm. Yeah, um I guess it was something um, you know that that wasn't planned. Like I, I think many good things in life, you know, they you know just uh, it just happened. Um, I had been uh, working for ten years with this consulting firm, McKinsey, and then at some point I decided I wanted to go more into the coaching field. I you know I sensed there was a lot of 
suffering um, in organizations, and not just at the lower levels. You know, there's lots of surveys that show that really majority, two-thirds to three-quarters of people in, in organizations today feel um, disempowered, um, feel disengaged from their work, really, you know, just come to get a paycheck, but, um, you know, don't, don't come with their heart to work, and, and certainly not with their soul. Um, that is well known, but, but something I experienced when I uh, was working these, these years with McKinsey was that actually the same was true at the top levels of organizations. You know, you have these very powerful um, CEOs and, 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 and top managers, um, you know, who seem to have it all and, and, and seem to enjoy themselves, but when you scratch the surface, you sense that, you know, they too are somehow exhausted there you know if you if you can have a really quiet moment with them if you can close the door um and and do you know real nice coaching conversations like i've had with with quite a few of them you, know, you sense that they're tired of um of the game too that they're you know they somehow the system forces them to to play politics they they keep their guards up all the time you know there's so much infighting and the, you know this, and, and 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 all of that you know even they at, admit at some point doesn't make much sense you know what what mm. are you know what are you spending all these hours for you know sitting in these endless meetings and um so can i just make yeah. a point too that i think it's also very rewarded by our culture to be that successful so it even makes it harder to say i'm not happy right because uh, by most standards the status and money and everything at those top levels People are programmed to think they should be happy, so I bet exactly. it's very yeah. confusing. It's very difficult to admit that you're not, right? You, you, and people have yeah. sacrificed so much to get to that stage. Yes. Um, and so, so that was something that was very present for me. And then, um, you know, it, as I got more and more into the softer side of, of things and, you know, it's coaching, you know, very senior leaders or facilitating, um, you know, executive teams, um, I really got the sense of how unhealthy the structures themselves are. You know, when I was coaching um, some of these senior people, if we really, really had very deep and meaningful conversations and, and those conversations helped these people let their guard down and, you know, reassess their lives and, and, and consider some of the most fundamental questions, quite often they would end up leaving their organization um, hmm. Because they, at some point they would say, "Hey, yes, I've you know <laughs> seen the light. You know, this doesn't make much sense. I don't want to waste my life, you know, in you know in playing this you know this rat race anymore." And it was a part of me that was cheering you know for them, <laughs> and it was the strange <laughs> right. of you know me being paid by organizations um, <laughs> to, to lose people, people leave and, <laughs> and secretly inside being very happy for them, right? Um, right. And, and the same thing happened when I was working with um, executive teams. There's a number of executive teams of large organizations. I was. I kind of had the privilege to work with, and and when I worked with them, and we went like two days offsite, and we went to kind of deep levels and dropped the mask and and dare to talk about the the politics and the meaninglessness of it, and mm. ah, you could sense, sense a you know great sense of relief um, of having a safe space where you could you know finally discuss these questions. But then, as soon as that was finished, and you know they got back into daily life, you know all of these pressures came back, and all of the the power games and all that came back again. Can and, I ask you, do you, yep. do, do you think for them it was the first time they even acknowledged these things to each other? Oh, yes, very often. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's often a, you know, these are taboo discussions to have among, among very senior leaders, right? They, I mean, they're all guarded, you know, one from yeah. the other. And, um, and so 
that's really when then this questioning came from. Um, you know, you know, when the, if the structures are themselves seem to be so unhealthy, you know, what would the healthy structures look like? And um, you know, I was very aware of you know models like spiral dynamics or you know work from Ken Wilber. You know, that 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 shows that you know, there are stages of psychological development that we go through. You know, there's different ways we look at the world. And, and I was just curious to say, to see, hey, there must be people who have gone through some inner work, some inner transformation, who found that, you know, working in their organization wasn't what they're meant to do anymore, any longer. So, you know, businessmen leaving organizations. But it could also be, you know, there's doctors and nurses leaving hospitals and jobs because, you know, the way we run hospitals has become so soulless. And teachers leaving schools mm. because most of the schools have just become these kind of cold factories, you know. Um, and so I, I was curious, some of those people who've gone through some inner work, who've done some personal development, some spiritual development, must have restarted new organizations. There must be doctors that have restarted new hospitals or businessmen that have restarted new businesses, but then based on a different foundations. And that, that was what got me started on the, the research that basically three years later ended up you know, becoming this book. Um, mm. And what was fascinating for me was to see that you know, different people um, in different places of the world in very different industries, geographies, that didn't know of each other, that thought that they were the only fools that dared to say, hey, let me basically throw out everything I know about management, everything we're being told in business school, and let me try to reinvent whole different structures, whole different practices and processes, whole different ways of, of, of collaborating that would be more soulful, more, you know, more powerful, you know, more in line with how I see the world now. Now, these organizations that they founded are remarkably similar, even though they didn't know of each other. And, and that got me then really, really excited. And I think, you know, we're touching here on something new that is emerging, um, you know, a way to create organizations in line with this, a new form of consciousness that is, you know, currently emerging in the world. And, you know, and I dare to predict that perhaps in, you know, 20, 30 years, this is how pretty much everyone will think about organizations. Today, this is still very, very pioneering. Um, well, but, doesn't but it, it follow sort of a hundreth monkey concept? That, yeah, do you perhaps, remember that? Because if people, the listeners, aren't familiar with that, they, I think they discovered that that monkeys on different islands were starting to use tools similarly, even though they had no way of knowing what the other monkeys were doing. So they, they, this emergent concept is that once some kind of idea comes through and it reaches a tipping point, then everybody gets it, kind of from the quantum field or whatever, which is yeah, sort of yeah, the, exactly. um, the idea. And, mm-hmm. and I think that might well be happening. I was very surprised. I, I wrote this book very much in mind, you know, having in mind people who, who would be open for this, who would, would be looking for this, who feel that the way we, you know, we run organizations today isn't, you know, isn't working any longer. Um, but I, recently I've, I've started you know, giving quite a few talks at conferences, and including with people who are very much still grounded in today's way of running organizations, you know, today's kind of, you know, mad spree to, you know, go for just more market share, more profits, and, you know. And what I found is that even people anchored in, in today's way of thinking about business all admit that something is broken in the way we, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who would say that, hey, the way we run organizations today is fantastic. Wow. Kind of everyone starts to admit that 
something is broken, that everyone is tired of, you know, of, of, of the politics and, you know, and the budgets and the targets and the incentives and, you know, all of, you know, all of that, that, that that comes with the way we run organizations today. Do you think that speaks to some sort of emergent, deep yearning within the human species for an evolutionary shift? I do. Um, I think that if we, if we speak this language, I, I like the word yearning that you used. You know, if you speak the language to what people yearn for, then there is an opening, right? Mm-hmm. And, and some people shut the door again and say, after a while, we'll say, yeah, yeah, but, you know, come on, let's be realistic, let's go back That's... to business. And, um, <laughs> right. But, but, you, but even, you know, even, even them, you, you can touch them by, by at some point talking to, to the yearning where they will admit that, you know, that, that somehow they would love for there to be much more, right? That, you know, that they would love for more, more soulful um, uh, ways of, of being together in organizations. Hmm. That's, that's amazing. So you've t- mentioned the stages of development, and I'm a student of integral theory and a big fan of Ken Wilber. Um, can you talk a little bit about the stages, some of the earlier ones perhaps that we still see, and then where we're going uh, that you talk about in your book? Yeah, so uh, actually great many um, philosophers and psychologists and historians and anthropologists have looked at how, you know, humanity has evolved um, over history. And, and what they consistently found is that, you know, we don't, for whatever reason, you know, they, this evolution is not linear. You know, we don't keep making small increments. It's rather we make these sudden big jumps. Um, and, and they all kind of agree on what those big jumps have been in history, right? And, and, and one way to talk about it is, you know, we... At some point, we went from being in small bands to, uh, you know, becoming large tribes, and that was a, a huge shift. Um, mm-hmm. And then came the agrarian revolution and the birth of civilizations and, and religions. And, um, and then came the scientific and industrial revolution. That was another huge leap in human history. And then came the postmodern, you know, um, information age revolution. And it seems that many people agree that, you know, we're now entering one more stage. And this new stage, there isn't even, you know, a commonly accepted word for it. Some call it, you know, whether the integral age or the authentic age or the holistic age. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what word will stick. But, so, you know, these big shifts, you know, tribal, um, agrarian, um, uh, industrial, scientific, uh, postmodern, and this new shift, everyone kind of agrees that these shifts have, have happened. And we know that each of these shifts, Everything has changed, the way we think about the world, the way we think about religion, the way we, you know, the, the technology has changed, the economic ways of subsistence have changed, the politics have changed. And, and one thing that has been kind of mostly overlooked um, for some strange reason is that each of these stages also has every time invented a radically new organizational model, just a radically new way to be in organizations. Um, Interesting. And at every stage, we've invented a much more powerful model than the previous stage. At each stage came a number of fundamental breakthroughs that allowed organizations to achieve things that were previously unthinkable. Right? So, for instance, um, at the tribal age, organizations were extremely crude, um, where bosses had to exert power all the time over their subordinates, because if the boss showed the slightest find a weakness, somebody would backstab him and take his place, right? And these organizations, we still see some of them around in the form of mafias and street gangs, 
uh, and guerrilla armies, right? They're still organized in the way, you know, this kind of template that we invented in the tribal age, mm-hmm. right? But they're very crude organizations. They don't scale very well. Um, they're effective in, in very highly uncertain environments. And then suddenly we made this leap, starting 5,000 years ago, to the world of agriculture, this very stable mm-hmm. world of uh, civilizations and institutionalized religions. And the organization that we invented there were radically more powerful because there came, at that moment, two big breakthroughs. You know, one was um, the formal org chart. You know, mm-hmm. you know, these tribal organizations don't have an org chart. You know, it's all influence-based. It's all, you know, moving. Um, suddenly, you have these formal org charts like the Catholic Church invented, you know, and the, mm-hmm. uh, the priest accepts to be a priest, and he doesn't secretly plan to backstab the bishop, right? He just accepts right. to be a priest. And so everything becomes more stable and becomes more scalable, and you can send missionaries to the other end of the world, which was unthinkable in, mm-hmm. in the previous organizations. And, and the other thing they invented was replicable process, right? In the formal organizations, you know, they didn't have processes. You would reinvent everything every time. And suddenly you had a replicable process. Enormous breakthrough, right? I'm just giving that as an example. We probably won't have time to go into all of these steps, but just um, I I just want to, you know, have listeners, um, you know, see this, that we've had a number of fundamental leaps in human history, and every time we have invented a new way to run organizations. And so if we are somehow increasingly disillusioned with the way we run organizations today, my sense is that that simply means that, you know, we're at the end of that particular stage. We're really bumping against its limits, and we really sense that there must be something, you know, another stage emerging. And and what I've been researching is organizations who already operate at this next stage. And well, before we get too far into that, I'm sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but we are up on a break, and I want to have a, a really nice, fluid chunk of time to talk about that. So just to reintroduce my guest today is Frederick Laloux, and we are talking about Reinventing Organizations, a guide to creating organizations inspired by the next stage of human consciousness. And you can get his book on Amazon or at the website reinventingorganizations.com. And we'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be? Or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. 
Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm with Frederick Lelou. We're talking about reinventing organizations. And in the first segment, Frederick talked about his what he was learning from different organizations and how they were... Um, People were seeming to be unsatisfied, so he started really digging into what was going on and seeing that perhaps our organizational models are really not supporting where we're going um, as a species or certainly uh, as a community. And so then we got into some of the levels, uh, and you mentioned, Frederick, the tribal level and the agrarian level as being precursors to what's happening next. And so I'd love you to, to share about the next stage uh, or stages and, and maybe give some examples of companies that are in these different stages. Yes, I'll, I'll probably just you know, skip a few stages. I mean, you know, most of the organizational thinking that we have around today, you know, what we learn in business schools and, and most of the business books really come from this um, kind of scientific you know, industrial um, stage. You know, there's this, this thinking that, that was, um, you know, that, that, that started with the Renaissance and then the Enlightenment and then and, and really strongly with the Industrial Revolution. Um, and, and, and that's the one where I think most of us sense that, you know, that it somehow feels limiting today. Um, and so the organizations I researched, um, as, I, as I mentioned before, I think, have been founded by, by quite extraordinary people um, who've often gone through quite a bit of a personal journey um, and who, from that perspective, then really challenged the way we think about organizations and, and management today and, and, and kind of went on a sort of mad, you know, trial and error innovation spree um, until they stumbled into, on a consistent and, you know, totally different and, and much more powerful and, and effective and, 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 and soulful model. Of, of running organizations. Um, one, by the way, that, is, that seems to be much, much more successful also from a financial and a bottom line perspective, even though that is 
not so important <laughs> for these people. Today, you know, so that you, you, there's a there's a funny paradox there. You know, they they weren't seeking to uh, to necessarily make more profit in market share, but that's what they ended up doing simply because they stumbled on more powerful ways of of running their organizations. And so I looked at probably something like 30, 40 organizations. And there were twelve uh, of them that I studied in great depth, um, all of them pretty large organizations, so several hundreds or several thousands or even tens of thousands of people, um, mm. some in, you know, in the U.S., others in, in Europe, um, in all sorts of industries, so you know, healthcare and education and retail and manufacturing, so there's some blue-collar, white-collar organizations in there. And, and again, what was fascinating for me was despite you know, these different industries, you know, they, were, they work in a remarkably um, similar ways, um, mm. and and yeah, maybe let me let me tell you, you know, just one of you know one story of one of these organizations, just so people can maybe picture a little bit, you know, how what these organizations look like um, because they're yeah. so so different. Um, one story I like to tell because it it you know it, show, it shows this difference from the today's thinking to this new thinking. Um, you know, very vividly is is an organization in the Netherlands called uh, Buurtzorg. Um, and they're a home care organization, neighborhood nursing organization. So it's nurses going into, that don't work in the hospital, but work in people's homes. So often older people, um, sick people um, that need care at home. Mm-hmm. And um, and the, the traditional organizations in the Netherlands, um, you know, that used to exist are very much operated by today's management thinking, right? And mm-hmm. they were born basically in the, in the 80s when individual nurses were kind of forced by the social security system to regroup into organizations. And then a whole optimizing logic, you know, that we're used to in organizations took over, right? And they, they said, hey, yeah. let's specialize some nurses. Some nurses will only do the intake, the very first, you know, visit to the home of the old person to Mm-hmm. see what's needed, and then we'll have expensive nurses only do difficult things so that we can farm out all the rest to cheap nurses. And then they mm-hmm. found that, hey, let's um, uh, have clients not be in touch directly with the nurses, take their phones away, but have a call center so that we can allocate nurses kind of independently. And so every day we can send a different nurse to these patients. And then, you know, let's measure the time these nurses take, because some nurses are much faster than others. And so they... they make standardized time, you know, a shot takes 10 mm. minutes and a compression stocking takes two and a half minutes. And, and then when wow. they have that, now, <laughs> now we can, of course, do planning, right? Because we have Google Maps. So, you know, now every nurse receives a sheet of paper the evening for the next day. Um, uh, and it says, hey, from 8 to 8.10, you give a shot there and then you have three minutes to travel there. And then you have two and a half minutes to change your compression stocking. And then you have seven minutes to travel and, and you can track all of these things. Um, and the result of that was that you had great gains in efficiency. So on one hand, you know, in some ways it was very successful. But patients, uh, you know, kind of hate that system because every day they see a new nurse coming by. These are often older, confused people, and, you know, they they have to, you know, get used to a new face. And then the hurried nurse comes in, looks at the paper, says, oh, yeah, you need a shot. And then the old person says, yeah, you know, that's, that's what the paper says, but let me explain. It's a bit more complicated. And the nurse says, no, no, sorry, I have no time, and, you know, gives the shot and is out of the door again. Wow. Um, and, and the nurses hate it because, because they basically become these, 
know, these, these healing machines, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and their whole sense of vocation, their sense of care of getting to know the patient, you know, there's just no, no more time for that. Well, this doesn't necessarily also uh, reflect a lot of what the U.S. healthcare system is, how it's designed for 15 minutes with the doctor and exactly. things right. like that. Right, very right. siloed for people who may be in other industries. I would think of these as silos, kind of. Exactly. And, uh, and in some logic, in some managerial logic, all of that makes a lot of sense. Each of these steps independently, you know, to specialize tasks and to make standard times and all of that somehow makes sense in, in, in some logic. But the result... You know, it's pretty dispiriting for everyone. Yeah. And, and so there's this one person, a guy called Jos de Bloch, who had been a nurse for 10 years and had gone into management to try to change it from the inside with one of these large providers. And he found he couldn't change it from the inside. And so he created a small organization called Beardsor. And he founded it late 2006, which is 10 nurses. Um, and he said, hey, we are all 10 professionals. We'll do everything that used to be compartmentalized in these silos. We'll do the intake and we'll do the planning. Um, and we'll go back to a model where every client, you know, just sees, every patient just sees one or two nurses so that we can have a deep bonding. And what we'll really do is that we'll actually sit, sit down, you know, drink coffee and help assess, you know, what can the person still do? How could that person lead, you know, an autonomous life, a rich life, and actually not need us, right, in oh. strange ways? How could we... You know, and, and, you know, maybe they have children that they can, that can come and help. Maybe you can build a network with friends and neighbors. So they ring at the neighbor's door and say, do you know the old lady next door? Can I introduce you? You know, mm. maybe you could help once in a while. And they make meetings with a family. You know, maybe the old person doesn't get along well with their children. Maybe there's something we can rekindle. So it's a totally different perspective on, on care, right? And, right. and it's one that has been hugely successful, um, uh, you know, because patients, of course, love it. They have, you know, this deep, intimate knowledge of the nurse, and the nurses love it because they can go back to giving real care. And the, the result has been that Beardsorg has now 8,000 nurses. Just six years later, they, they went from 10 to 8,000 nurses, which is 80% of all neighborhood nurses in the Netherlands, right? So they've gone from zero to 80% impressive. market share. Just because all the nurses from traditional organizations are deserting. They're just all sending, you know, their CVs to this to Beardsorg to say, hey, we want to work with you because it's just so much more interesting and, and soulful. And, and what was well, totally just, fascinating to me when I... Yeah, let me just finish on, on that piece because I, I think it's just so fascinating. Um, what was fascinating for me was that financially um, and medically, they're doing fantastically well because you could think, of course, you know, if you take time to sit, you know, to drink a coffee and talk to the children and the neighbors, of course, you know, then it's easy for patients to like you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a study done um, by Ernst & Young, and what they found is that Beardsorg only uses 40% of the hours prescribed by doctors because they make patients autonomous, right? So they actually use much, much less time than traditional organizations. They save the social security system hundreds of millions of euros every year, um, Wow. Even That's though fast. precisely because they sit down and drink coffee and don't just come in and give shots. Right. right? And I would um, think the people the, the patients are gonna have less stress, which we all know affects health. You know, there's course. a lot of the things that they weren't measuring before. Exactly. That Exactly. And, and some stuff that they do measure is, that, for instance, that there's much less emergency intakes in hospitals and stuff because the nurse knows the patient so intimately that they can detect small signs when something is off. 
whereas when it's a different nurse every day, you can't detect these things. So there's lots of side right. benefits to it. But what what got me really, really interested is the way Birtor operates internally. So because I'm interested in this kind of organizational management perspective, you know, the, mm-hmm. the healthcare part is, is exciting, but, but I really digged into how do they operate? Because the way Birtor operates and some of these other organizations I looked at is radically different from a traditional organization, right? And so, for instance, just one thing that seems mad, but it works fantastically well, is that at Beardsorg, in many of these other organizations, there is no hierarchy. Mm. There is no pyramid. You know, there is, no one is the boss of anyone else. So Beardsorg, with 8,000 people scattered throughout the country, um, manages to work entirely without boss-subordinate relationship. Really? Do they have yeah. any structure, like holacracy or something? So they have... Uh, they absolutely do have structure, so this is, thank you for bringing that up, because many people assume when I say that, that it's just a free-for-all, right? You just take anything yeah. out and then anything goes, and, and uh, you know, it's, um, it's sort of big playground, and, and uh, you know, everything at some point will uh, crash down in chaos. And, and that's, of course, not the case. They have just, what they have is recreated a whole different set of structures instead of the pyramid and a whole different set of practices to make yeah. that work and, you know, probably takes a bit too much more time than we have to explain all of these these things, but they, they very much have structure. So they these in, in their case the eight thousand nurses are organized in little teams of ten to twelve that are self managing teams. Um, there's no management above it, but there's lots of coordinating mechanisms to ensure that um, best practices are exchanged, that information is exchanged, that you know, specialty knowledge is exchanged. Um, there is a way to track performance to highlight if you know if a team is having a performance difficulty. There's a way to deal with that. There's mechanisms to deal with conflict. Right in today's organization, if you have a conflict with someone, you'll probably talk to your boss about it, and you know hope that the boss will talk to their boss. And you know, um, right. in this case, you don't have bosses, so you need other mechanisms to deal with conflict. Um, so there's lots of other mechanisms in place to make that possible. And what you find out is that very far from descending into chaos, when you, um, I, I don't like the word empower people because empower still sounds like someone has power and gives it to someone. In this system, nobody is empowered because everyone, by definition, is powerful. There, you know, there isn't anyone to seek approval from. Um, but so in, in this system, because everyone feels powerful, there's just a, a level of energy um, and creativity that is amazing um, wow. because you don't have to go through layers of approval. You don't have to hope to convince your boss and, you know, who on a bad day can kind of kill a great idea that you have. Um, so it's an, an organization where everyone feels powerful, which is, which is something, you know, pretty amazing. That is. I'm curious, did you find out about how they compensate people? Is that part of this kind of an way of designing it for this autonomy. Oh, absolutely. So they've had to rethink all of that, right? How do you recruit people? How do you evaluate them? How do you compensate them? So all of that, you know, traditionally is done by bosses, right? um, And they've had to find other mechanisms to make that that happen. Um, And the, you know, if you ask about compensation, the most beautiful process I know of is um, one that has been, is in use by a company called Morningstar, um, it's a company based in California. It's, a, it's also a neat story. It's a, 
a guy called Chris Roofer who bought himself a truck in the 1970s to haul tomatoes across California, and he now had this kind of a small empire. He hauls 70% of all tomatoes in the U.S., and, and he transforms 50% of all tomatoes into you know, tomato sauce and, and ketchup, you know, pretty much you know, all ketchup and tomato sauce in the U.S., you know, is, is done by him, even though it has all sorts of brands on it. So you've probably had, you know, his products um, many, many times without knowing it. And so he has these four huge factories that process tomatoes. They look like chemical factories with trucks dumping tomatoes in, you know, uh, you know, a truck every three minutes on one side and then tomato sauce coming out at the end. And everyone <laughs> in between there, you know, works in this kind of self-managing fashion without without hierarchy. And, and the way they... Um, they compensate, you know, they decide about compensation. It's a very beautiful process. Um, if you work there, um, every year, you and all your colleagues will write a letter. And in your letter, you will state what raise you go for, right? What raise you grant yourself, basically. Um, and so you'll say, hey, uh, maybe you just give yourself a cost of living adjustment. That's kind of the, the basis. Everyone gets that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might say, hey, no, it's cost of living plus 2%. Mm-hmm. Right, and you justify why you think that is warranted. You know what responsibilities you took on, what projects you led, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, they each of these factories people elect a s- small uh, salary committee that will just take these letters, put them side by side, and calibrate them and give people advice. So the, the committee has no power to decide, but will simply mm-hmm. give you share their advice. So, you know, to you they might say that. You know, maybe you've been too humble. You just gave yourself a cost of living adjustment, and, and really, you've taken on responsibility, and you should raise your your salary. And, and that happens. You know, there, there's some people who are too humble. Uh, you know, oh. and and maybe to me they will say, hey, you know, Frederick, you know, your your seven percent <laughs> raise, you know, is, sounds a bit, you know, generous. You seem to be a bit, you know, happy with yourself here. When we compare that to some of your colleagues, you know, maybe two percent would have been, you know, more reasonable. And right. the interesting thing is. That's only a device they give, right? And you and I can then decide, you can decide to raise your salary or to keep it, you know, the way you wanted it. And I can, I could still decide to keep my 7%. The only thing is that what I do, you know, is public, just like everything in these organizations, all information is public. And so if I decide to keep my 7%, all of my colleagues, the people I work with, will know that I was given the advice of 2% and I kept 7%. So next year... I'd better prove that I'm really worth it because I've somehow, you know, discarded advice from colleagues. I've somehow put myself slightly at the, you know, at the borderline of, you know, the community of peers. Right. And, yeah. and what you find that organizations that practice this, um, uh, for instance, at Morningstar, is that this works remarkably well. Um, people are very good predictors of what they're worth. Um, so... Only in very, very few cases does the committee actually need to say, hey, you've been too generous. In just as many cases, it needs to say, hey, you should probably be more generous with yourself. And what it does is that it, you know, it's one of the systems, like in many things these organizations do, that just cuts through an enormous amount of, basically, of bullshit that we, we do in, in today's organizations where, you know, people just don't waste any time any longer talking about salary. Because if you don't like it, you know, you just raise it. You know, That's... nobody is stopping you from doing anything. Um, you just live with the natural consequences. You just have to grow up and live with the consequences of your actions. And if you aim too high, you know, you'll re- receive a response. And then you'll have to decide what you do with it. And so all well, of that... the 
Oh, go ahead. The haggling and the strategizing and the complaining that people do and all the effort and energy invested in that falls away. I mean, in these organizations, compensation is just no topic. You know, if you don't like it, yeah. just trade it. That's it. That's amazing because it sounds like, well, for one thing, you, you highlight the transparency and then they have to, it seems like there's a lot of collaboration that happens. And so if you're finding that that you or me or someone is being very greedy, they're going to have the kind of social or emotional consequences, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so they want, it's like the success of the team also affects their success, so you wouldn't want to be ostracized. So it's really, it really kind of makes sense, but, but it's interesting that it, it's not been used before. I guess we're just sort of ready for that as an evolutionary um, sequence or process. We are up on our second break, so uh, I'd just like to reintroduce. I'm talking to Frederick Lelou about reorganizations, and we'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be? Or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here. I'm back with Frederick Laloux. We're talking about reinventing organizations. And before the break, we got into a lot of detail about some companies that are really changing the way they do business and not necessarily setting out 
to be financially successful, but that's been the result, and it just speaks to a, a whole new way of looking at organizations. And so, Frederick, we have about 10 minutes left, and I'd love to hear perhaps what you're working on that's come from the concepts in the book and the interest in it and, and maybe some of the ways that my listeners could get involved and actually participate in, in creating change in their or, own organizations and, and make a difference. So, yeah, please tell us about some of the things you're doing now. Um, well, the book is, is doing really, really well and getting really fantastic resonance with I you know I'm, I'm I'm incredibly happy with and so you know part of my my time is just simply trying to respond to you know as many um, emails and, and, and requests I receive and, and unfortunately you know can't respond to all of them but um, uh, so there's there's many questions people have around um, you know how, how do I make that happen and, and and really I think you know the book is, is just a good starting point because I, I try to detail you know, to really be very, very specific about, you know, how this new model operates and how you know, people recruit and evaluate and compensate and how do you run meetings and, how, you know, how the structures and the staff functions. And so, so all of that. So I, I think the book is a good resource for probably the best, you know, I could offer for um, people who really want to do this in their own organizations who are ready to, to go down that, that path. Um, and um, so... I've now um, decided because I, I received so many requests that I wasn't able anymore to uh, to do real consulting work in a traditional sense of really, you know, going out there helping organizations do that change. So I'm I'm much more federating people, um, you know, who are you know interested by these ideas and, and want to do it, and and I work much more sort of as, as a sparring partner. So every once in a while, I just do um, you know an, an hour or two with. Uh, some organizations and leaders uh, over Skype, and they tell me where they are in their journey and uh, to go down this road. And I just ask questions, challenge them, make suggestions. And, and, and I really love this model because it keeps the ownership with the organizational leaders. Um, and I'm just there kind of as a sparring partner, whatever they want to, um, mm. to exchange ideas. Um, and, and then another piece I'm, I'm quite excited about is that um, uh, from different quarters, you know, people have taken on projects related to this book, and I, and I um, very much encourage that and, and do it in a, in a very open-source fashion. So people are giving, starting to give lectures and do book clubs, and um, you know, some people are thinking about starting to do online um, you know, seminars around it, and I, I just say, great, you, know, you don't own me anything. You know, just, just, just go with it. There's no uh, copyright in that sense, and, 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 and just go with it. And if you want to you know, uh, give me the material, I put it online on my website. Of, of the book, so I'm, I'm really trying to help people who want to take ownership of these ideas because I think you know the, the, the more people want to run with it, the, the better. So this is kind of an invitation for you know anyone who has an idea of some project he would want to do based on the ideas of the book. I you know I, I'm generally very open for that. And one or two projects I'm quite excited about and I that I am getting involved with. There's, for instance, a French um, business school that is. Um, wanting to do a three-day immersive simulation where um, their students in the business school, you know, work in organizations at these different levels. So, you know, traditional organizations as we know them, and then also operating in this in this new model and just seeing the differences between the two and experiencing it firsthand 
by 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 you know simulating or you know working in the organizations for for three days, and and so I'm very excited by that, and and I've decided to to participate and collaborate in that, um, uh, provided that the business school would make it open source and so that we could package it so that any other business school or any other organizations who wanted to run the same three day thing, you know, could basically take it off the shelf and and do it, and so we're in, in the process of of designing this, and I think that's that's quite exciting. There's that is. Uh, Another project is, is, you know, that I'm doing with with some readers who stepped forward was is to start to think about a a wiki um, about these ideas because basically the book, you know, is kind of frozen now with you know the best research that I could come up with, you know, but but as people discover other organizations that work in similar ways and that have one really cool practice in one particular domain, you know, it would just be good to keep that updated and, and keep it live and, and, and we thought that you know wiki format would be would be great um, and and so we probably in the fall or something we're going to do a sort of uh, wikithon where we invite um, you know whoever is interested to to do a one one or two day event where we try to in one go populate the whole wiki um, and and we we found a way of to make it possible that the wiki can be embedded by anyone who wants it in their own website. So any consultant or any think tank or any institute that wants to embed the same wiki can have it on their own website as if it was theirs native from them. You know, it doesn't even need to be branded like my book. Um, and so we basically have this kind of distributed wiki platform that sits on, I don't know, maybe a few hundred web pages and if anyone updates it on one web page, it updates on all the other ones, uh, which is pretty, which is pretty cool. Um, so there's a number of, of projects like this that, you know, readers are, are getting involved with and take the lead, and 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 I'm I'm supporting them. And, and for me, this is just this absolutely fascinating and and, t- and totally joyful to see that other people, you know, feel so strongly about these ideas that they that they take it up and um, and as much as possible, like I help them and support them, but but otherwise they just run with it. But it's so inspiring, and it just feels like you you walk your talk, which is so refreshing. And um, yeah, and I just so appreciate that you've made this knowledge or kind of brought this out so people can can take it in. How would people, if we were, if someone was interested in getting involved in the wiki, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, uh, basically, on the uh, is to contact me through the website. Um, uh, okay. reinventingorganizations.com you know there's okay. a contact me and, and they could just uh, they could just write to me I, I, I you know I, I hope to answer as in within a few days it's not always possible but but that would be the that would be I guess the best way to 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 get in touch with me all right well we have about three minutes left or um, anything else you think might be interesting to share with the listeners um let me think. I I would just urge people who resonate with this to you know to to be daring and to say and to, and to go for it and to say hey you know if you if you feel that that there must you know there, there must be better ways you know to be together at work there must be better ways of collaborating you know don't let people stop you that say oh come on that's that's just wishful thinking um, mm-hmm. you know go out there. Um, you know, read about some of these organizations that I've I've researched. Maybe go and visit them, and and start to think about what it could mean for for your own organizations. And 
and maybe if you're not the most powerful in your organization, you know, you're not the CEO that can decide on this, you know, um, maybe start thinking about starting your own organizations, right? Maybe, um, you know, if you're a doctor, start your own hospital or your own clinic, and if you're a teacher, you know, you know find like-minded souls and, and start a new school. Um, so, be, be daring. Go for it. <laughs> well, so what that just makes me wonder, and maybe you could tell me if there's anybody, are there any venture capitalists that are actually interested in helping people start businesses like this? Um, not yet, but, but again, one, one reader contacted me, and he's, in, he's been talking to some investors who sounded very intrigued, um, so it's too early to, to tell. But, you know, if, if ever a venture capitalist listens to this and, you know, is, is convinced <laughs> that this is right, you know, you know do, by any means, do contact me. <laughs> and, yes. and I'm happy to put them in touch with, you know, the readers uh, who might be interested to, to start companies uh, in that way. So there's another whole business opportunity right here is to create a venture capital firm. It's not something in my skill set, but I'm sure there's people out there that this would resonate and and help everyone who has the idea to kind of get funded and get started. So very inspirational. Well, uh, again, I really appreciate you being my guest today. Uh, We are just about out of time. I hope you'll come and visit us again. Thank you for being here. So next week, my guest will be Dr. Nadia Zekambayeva, a business owner, author, and educator working at the intersection of innovation, leadership, and sustainable growth. And we'll be discussing overfished ocean strategy, powering up innovation for a resource-deprived world. So be sure to tune in for this inspiring interview. I'm your host, Olivia Parud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights, and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 